trial. <laughs> but I love my daughter. It's been a blessing that uh, she's here. She relieves a lot of the pressure that comes on and being in tied with the sound. I've, I know I've worked in the sound for 40-some years, and I know what happens. I, I can remember back in uh, Houston... We had the sound all set up. Everything was working perfectly. It was back when we had tubes and uh, not transistors. And Charles Dorothy came in and brought a uh, young man for his first sermonette. He got up there and started to speak. And wouldn't you know it, everything quit. (laughs) And of course, Dr. Dorothy comes up and says, you're supposed to check this stuff out ahead of time, and you want to hide underneath the chair, but, but you have it. It's one of those things. So in sound, you catch it no matter what you do. <laughs> you're always the guilty person, so I can pass this on now. <laughs> My daughter's got big shoulders. She takes after her dad, I think, in some cases. After her mother in a lot of cases. Smart, intelligent. <laughs> anyway... Last week I gave a sermonette on uh, keeping the focus. Sometimes it's difficult. I reflected in my own mind, maybe not to others, uh, back in 2000, or actually, yeah, back in 2000 when I first heard the Minor Prophets. It's like uh, hearing the first time I heard Herbert Armstrong on the telev- on the radio and. You know, and it was like a reopening of your mind. And so, you know, we jumped into this project of coming out here. I really expected three or four hundred people at the feast that year. And boy, was I surprised. But, but as you grow and you realize that sometimes when the pastor pounds on the podium, and like I told him uh, one time, I said... You think you pound on the podium, but I think Gordon pounds on it more than you do. So <laughs> it's just. But but it was an interesting time because we were so excited, and so when we're told we've got to make changes that we have for years lived by, and now we say um, it wasn't quite altogether there. So we got to make some changes in our lives, and so we have made those changes, and sometimes. The message seems to be hard, but God knows who you are. And He knows what strengths you have and what weaknesses you have. And of course, like Job, you know, He allows Satan to come at our weakness when God wants us to make a change and we don't want to change. He's going to allow us to make those changes. I only hope that I don't have to go through what Job did. I don't think I have that strong of a of a personality or strong of a character to handle all that pressure. Uh, I just hope I can see it and learn by what Job went through and what others went through. But anyway, I've tried to point out that that no matter what we do in our life, we shouldn't give up. I don't care what the pressure is. Job didn't give up. Of course, he was believed he was right in his ways until he finally come down to that final few chapters and God said, now let me show you a few things. It's sort of like Elijah. Remember, he, God gave him a lot of understanding, a lot of wisdom. 
But when push came to shove and he thought his life was on the line, he fled. And God is so merciful, isn't he? He took, made him, gave him plenty of food to eat, said the way you have to go is a long trip. And you know, he made that long trip and he gets out there and gets in this cave. And, and God shows Joe, uh, Elijah his power. You know, you can imagine, you know, here's a, a creator that brought a tornado so massive that it shook the ground. Then he shook the ground. And then he brought a, a massive storm with lightning striking everywhere. And God shows, this is my power. And then what did he do? He says, Elijah, you know, still a small voice. Elijah, I still love you. I've got a job for you to do. What are you doing here? So that does it to us too, doesn't it? I just don't want to find myself facing a hurricane, although I've been through a couple. I don't want to find myself going through a tornado and then finally be woke up and say, you know, I'm God. I'm the one you should be honoring. I'll protect you. And so through the years that we've been here, this little group, we've learned that uh, God says, come out of the cities and come to the field and I'll protect you. And like I said earlier, telling Daryl earlier, he, uh, you know, he's told us to come out here and we were excited. What's well, going to be in a year or two or three or four? or five or six, and now it's 11, have we come to that point that we're becoming a little shaky? You know, I have to ask yourself, because setbacks come in life. You know, you might think, oh, I've got it made, I'm going to do this right now, I can handle this, I can do it without a problem. And then something happens. And... The way we deal with those will be a thing, whether it's success, that we become part of the family of God, or failure, and we won't be. Because at this point in time, judgment is on you. Judgment is on the church, scattered as it is, worldwide is split all over the place. But, no matter, even it is, God says judgment is on you right now as an individual. God's looking into your life. And so how are you managing your life? Matthew 24. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 45. So God is looking at you as an individual. wants to know, are you going to make it? He gives you a challenge. Uh, Sometimes the challenge seems to be too big and people have given up. I can remember a fellow back in Houston. He said, I know where the church is. Let's see. I left Houston in 75, 76. He left the church in 74. Do you think that that man, if he hasn't stayed up with God, could find the church today? I don't think so. I don't think he could find it because he lost perspective. Matthew 24. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? So here, Emmanuel's asking us, 
Are you wise? Are you faithful? Do we ask ourselves that? Am I a wise and faithful servant whom the Lord has made ruler over his household? He's giving us the opportunity to rule in his house. Now, are we faithful and are we wise? Or do we let things get to us and pull us down and pull us aside? To give them meat in due season. So sometimes that meat is pretty tough. I know we uh, had killed a goat, or Charles killed a goat for us, and uh, I'm sorry, a, a lamb, a ram, one of the ram. And some of it seems kind of tough. Others seem pretty good. So sometimes you can't eat that tough meat, but it's good for you anyway. So God's going to give you meat in due season as you need it, since He is judging us at this point in time. This is our opportunity. Not like the world, who will be given an opportunity in the white throne period. They'll have to go through the same thing. They're going to have to learn to live by what's in this book, just like you are. And it might be tough for them, too. But they will have an advantage that you and I don't have. They'll have us there to say, whoops, you're going the wrong direction. Whoops, I've tried that, been there, done that. It doesn't work. Oh, we have basically the same thing, though, if you really want to look at it. You can go to Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11. Here's a group of people say, I've been there and I've done that. So, hey, that way is not the right way. Verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find him doing. Doing what? Following the steps that Christ went through. In Luke 18.8 tells us that Christ made the question. He said, will I find faith when I come? How about it? Do we have that kind of faith that we can trust our Father like Isaiah, who went through, what, a year or so uh, laying on one side, 40 days laying on another side. I don't know how he did it. I find it hard laying one position very long at night, but he laid that way for a year and had to fix his meals over cow dung. So, there's a faithful man. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of faith that Elijah had when he stood up there and said, you priests of Baal, here's a, a, you choose your animal to sacrifice to your God. And uh, you can't start a fire. You've got to let your God start the fire. And when they couldn't do it, to a less than a minute prayer, say, Father, show them who you are and have enough faith to watch that sacrifice which was drenched with gallons and gallons of water, no way possible that a man could light it, disappear. So do we have that kind of faith? So we ask that question. Will he come and find that kind of faith in you? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, 
Am I that faithful? Am I ready to go that route? Verse 47 in Matthew 24. Verily, I say to you that he shall make him ruler over his house. If we have the kind of faith that these people in Hebrews 11, through the Scriptures that Christ had, He's going to give you the opportunity to be the ruler in the world tomorrow. That is fantastic. That is something that is, sometimes we just don't give it enough thought, I think, to recognize how great an opportunity it's going to be for us. But, it goes on in verse 47, And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming. I saw it. I lived through it. So have many of you older people. Have lived through the time that we thought Christ would return in 72, 75, 82, 85, and nothing happened. Now we're told to come out of the field, I'm out of the city, into the fields, and I will protect you. Are we looking out and saying, well, it's been now 11 years. When is this going to happen? When will it occur? Am I going to be around to see this happen? Well, we better make some changes in our life if we're going to do that. We first moved out here. When we first moved out on this property, when we first moved to Canab, we were all excited, you know. We got to looking at property. I don't know. We spent months, I think, looking everywhere for a place to live. Some places were unaffordable. You know, like the place up in Johnson Canyon where several million dollars. Besides, you would have had a hard time getting to it. I mean, it was pretty rough terrain. I remember we were going down that one hill. We, had, we got to thinking, how are we going to get back up that way? Because it was pretty rough going down. And there were other places that were so far out of the way of anything, it, it just wouldn't pan out. And then God opened the door to this property. And we were excited. I can remember men, women, and children. We came out here, we laid this property out into lots of one acre piece. We put up a fence. It took us weeks. We put in roads and a water system. And we were all excited. We built this building. I can remember the, the young people, who are now some of them married, were out here leveling the ground out, tamping the dirt down, putting in the kind of iron. See, we were all involved. We were excited. It was fantastic, wasn't it? And we had a great time. We were all thrilled to doing what we were doing. And then I read in Psalm 133. Most of you probably have it memorized. I'm going to read the first verse. Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And let me tell you, I thought it was fantastic. I still think it's great. I still think this is a wonderful opportunity.
for us to live on this property as a family, to share our hurts and our joys, to share in our hardships and our easy times. You know, we, we can go out there and we can play games on Saturday night or during the feast or walk, walk around the property. I think in my time being here, I've only seen a sheriff on this property twice. He might have been here more because maybe I wasn't around. But we don't need a sheriff out here. We have godly love out here. And so to say how good and how pleasant it is, isn't that great? How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I see unity. Sometimes I see discouragement. Sometimes I see us pulling apart. But basically, I see us unified. When we put the fence in, when we put the roads in, I've seen that. I've been there, done that. And I can think of what it was going to be like in the world tomorrow that people are going to begin to live together in unity. Oh, it's going to take time. It won't happen right away. Just like here, it takes time. Psalm 119. Verse 59. Psalm 119, verse 59. Consider now, or rather, consider how I love your precepts. Quicken me. In the, the quicken me could be in the New Living Translation. Give me back my life. Or in the New King James, revive me. Or in the NIV, preserve my life. So here he says, we... I, how I love your precepts, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. He loves his precepts and asks God to revamp his life, reestablish his life in his loving kindness. So God is a God of love and mercy and joy. And he wants us to, to be rebuilt, revamp our life. That we had, maybe sometimes we let it slip because, as it was, we don't see things happening as quick as we want them to happen. But we have our time schedule, and God's got His. And maybe we don't function as fast as we ought to by dragging our feet. Your word is true from the beginning, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. God's judgment is forever. Man's not. We have our difficulties. Princes have pers- persecuted me without cause. Sometimes we feel we're persecuted. Princes or counties or government or states or nations, they persecute people without a cause. But my heart stands in awe of your word. How does God's word stand with you? Are you in awe of what he does? What he says? It's amazing to me that he could write things over a 5,000, 6,000 year period. And it was for today. We read through Isaiah, many parts of Isaiah says, in the latter days, in the last days, in the last time. This was written for us. 
Do we stand in awe of that word, or do we find fault with that word? We find fault because we had an idea. Maybe it was a false conception, or maybe it was that God gave us that thing. I can remember Mr. Armstrong saying, the hardest thing to do is to unlearn something. That's the hardest thing. So we learned certain principles and doctrines, and now we have to see that we didn't learn all of it. Even Mr. Armstrong realized, and back in 1979, he said, the church is off track. Well, I sat there thinking, what do you mean off track? I think I'm on track. I'm going the right direction. But he kept saying the church is off track. It's like a big train. I can remember as a kid in Ohio, this big diesel locomotive that was jumped the rail, and it took them uh, two days to get that train back on track. Well, Mr. Armstrong said, you're off track. You're going the wrong direction. Not me. I, I, you know, I know where we're going. But now I see that I didn't know where we were going. Now I can see we were off track. Because where's the church today? It's everywhere. Are we sitting here being fed more food? We're being fed the meat and not the milk. Where a lot of the church is still back, like Paul said there in Hebrews, he's had to come in and say, I want to give you the meat, but you can't take it. You're still back there needing milk. So we get the meat. Can we take it? Are we taking it? Do we recognize that this is something for us? Do we stand in awe of that word? Or do we find fault? Do we find fault with God? Well, maybe I don't see it that way. No. David said, I stand in awe of God's word. I rejoice at your word. Just happy and as brought out in the sermonette, rejoicing. Do we really rejoice? Really have great pleasure in God's Word as one that finds a great spoil. You know, if you were told to go out here and there's a million dollars worth of gold buried and you search for it and you strive to find it and you find it, you are so exuberant. You've got all this gold. Remember the story of the man who Look for a pearl of great price, and he got rid of everything because of that one pearl of great price. Well, that's what God is saying here through David. He rejoice as one finds great spoil. Do we rejoice every day in God's Word? Do we really enjoy and, and rejoice when God gives us correction from the, from the uh, lectern? When God says through His servant, you made a mistake, change it. Or this is a better and deeper understanding. So we have to go back and adjust our thinking. And I know it's hard. It's hard to adjust your thinking. But God wants us to do that. David continues in verse 63, 163. I hate, I abhor lying. Is that something that we do as an individual? 
Do we hate to lie? Do we hate to tell a lie? Do we hate people to lie to us? Do we abhor it? God does. He doesn't like it at all. But your law, I do love. So he's saying, I love God's laws and his precepts and his judgments. I love those. But sometimes they're hard. And sometimes we find difficulty in it. David continues, seven times a day do I praise thee because of your righteous judgment. Uh, I think sometimes, do I, have I carried my life to this extent so that I can have the unity here? That I love God so much I constantly give Him praise seven times a day or once a day. Or twice a day. Or maybe no time a day. God expects us, because he inspired David to write these things, if we're going to live as brothers and sisters, as a family, we are a family selected by God, put here as a family. Do we give him praise for bringing us here? Do we think, Boy, I'm glad I've got this brother here to help me, or this sister, or or, our pastor, or whoever. I'm I'm glad that I've been given this opportunity to live at this place. 165. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing will offend them. Are we at that kind of space in our life that... We don't allow things to offend us. We're at that kind of peace. Great peace. Great peace. That's fantastic peace. If we really, really, truly love God's law. John 13.35 tells us, Behold how good and how pleasant it is. How good and how pleasant it is. By, I'm sorry, that, that's, to be, that's back at Psalm 133. Psalm John 13, 35 tells us, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He tells us how we can tell we are family. A disciple is one who follows Christ. He's a student of Christ. He's one that lives and walks and talks with Christ. says, by, by this shall all men know. All people that you ever come in contact with will know that you are His people, His children, if you have love one for another. So to have this, behold, this great peace, this unity, it's going to take loving each other. Really deeply loving each other. Not finding fault. Although sometimes we ruffle each other's feathers and it's difficult sometimes to get by. But John, or Christ speaking there in John, says we need to love each other so that the world knows that we are his disciples. Lord, I have hoped for your salvation and done your commandments. So David says... My life, I live by your commandments. 
My soul has kept your testimonies. So he's keeping the commandments. He's keeping the testimonies. Those things that were told to us, things that we do that maybe are not listed in the Ten Commandments, but they are testimonies, things that God expects us to do. And I love them exceedingly. Do we love what God tells us exceedingly? If we're going to be at peace and in unity, then we have to be able to say, I love God's commandments. Because I love them, I'm not going to be offended. And I'm going to have, I'm going to keep God's testimonies. Because these are things that are leading me down the right path. And I have kept your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. You see, David understood everything he did is before God. You know that David was pointed out, I think Gordon pointed out that David was a bloody man. Why? Why could he say that? Because he took one of his close friend's wife and killed him. He murdered his close friend. And so David can say, all your ways, all, all my ways are before you, God. And so in Psalm 51, verse 1 says, have mercy on me. Say, you know who I am, God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Can we think that no matter what we do to each other or to the church or to the people, to the county, the state, to others that we come in contact with, can we say, have mercy on me because I am the guilty person here. I know it's hard. Darryl, I remember Daryl when I first started listening to him. He used to say up there all the time, you have to admit you are the guilty party. Yeah, I'm the one that does these problems. We go to Matthew 18 and we go to a brother and say, you've done this to me. Well, it depends on how you approach them, whether you can rectify that or not. If we can come to somebody and say, you're guilty, you're the bad guy, will you reach anything? Will you reach that person? Can you reach out and touch them? Or if you went to them, and I've done this, and say, I'm sorry. Maybe I've offended you some way, and I don't know. Can we... Sit down and rectify the situation. There's a different approach, you know, approach of you're the guilty party and I'm not. Or, hey, I'm guilty, yeah, because I'm human. I make mistakes. And I know I've offended a lot of people. Not meaningful. I mean, it's not purposely. But it's sometimes easy to say something and you don't guard your thoughts or your mind. And you say a word or two words or whatever, and it bothers somebody else. But if you take an approach and say, if I've offended you, help me to see the mistakes. And so we can resolve the situation and and be at peace, because that's what we want anyway. We want unity and peace. And we can have great peace if we can share our lives with each other. Gordon did a sermonette a few years back. I don't remember how many years back. 
called Iron Sharpening Iron. And I thought it was a fantastic because uh, sometimes we approach it as we take the iron to our brother and beat them over the head. But that sermonette shows that that's not the approach. Iron sharpening iron is you have an understanding. You know something. And they know something. And so you share your thoughts and they share their thoughts and you can bring them together. And now you have a deeper understanding. So we have sermons on uh, a manual as opposed to using Jesus Christ. And we still know it's the same person, but... Now we understand when we say Emmanuel, we know it's God with us. Now, did we get beat over the head or did we go through the scriptures and share what knowledge we had? The new knowledge, we put it together and have a deeper understanding. And so David understood that. And he said, have mercy on me. If we go to somebody who has a problem with us, do we say, have mercy on me? And forgive me because, hey, I'm sorry. I, I made these mistakes. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David realized that he sinned against God. Oh yes, he killed Uriah. Yes, he had his head of his army, put him in the front and pull everybody back and the other people's spears killed him. But David did it. He set him up. He put him in that position. But if you notice, when David, before he repented of his sins, how that happened? Nathan came to him and gave him a story, didn't he? He didn't come up there and start beating him over the head that you're a guilty person, you've done, you, you're a bloody man, you've killed this person, you took another man's wife, you've done all these things wrong. No, he just gave him a story. And let David search his mind, make a conclusion, a statement, well, this guy, this man that took this little you needs to pay for it with his wife. And so... All Nathan had to say was, you're the man. So he didn't beat him over the head. He just let him see the mistakes he made. And it brought us to Psalm 51, didn't it? Where David recognized his problem. And so God can say David was a man after his own heart. Because David was able to say, I am the guilty party. To live in unity, to live in peace, uh, and have this great peace, we've got to say, what is my side of this? What am I doing? What have I done to cause this problem? We want to be peace. We want to get back to this joy of just, you know, sharing our lives together. This was a, is a fantastic... We have probably, when I look at the rest of the church, we have the greatest opportunity of anybody else. Because we have God's place of property that He gave to us, like He told to Adam and Eve, this garden, dress and keep it. He's basically telling us the same thing. 
This is the property I give you. Dress and keep it. The people, the property, dress and keep it and, and enjoy it. Don't find fault and put down each other. He goes on in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. So David says, hey, I am the guilty party here. Forgive me. Help me. Wash away my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Isn't that that interesting? He says, I acknowledge the fact that I am guilty. And my sin is ever before me. It's ever before me. It's always there. Against you, Father. Against you. And you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And I make these mistakes. I've done these things too. And I understand it's hard to get on your my knees and say, I did it again. Can you forgive me? Can you help a brother or sister to forgive me? Because I'm the guilty party here. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. So we have no quorum with a father if he takes us like Job and puts us down, do we? Because God is righteous. God is, sees what's in your mind. We're told that there in Jeremiah 17.10, God looks to your heart. He looks in your heart. We look on the actions. We don't judge people on their heart. We judge them on their actions, especially if it offends me. They're guilty. I would never do anything, you know. I, I would never cause people to get angry at me. I'm just too good. No, if we say, what did I do today to cause this problem? Then we can say, if I say, what did I do wrong? I can say, behold, how good and how pleasant it is to dwell in unity. Because I make mistakes. And I want to be at peace. I want to love my brothers and sisters. But we don't always do that, do we? We always find fault with somebody else. We don't do and judge as God does. Romans Chapter 1, verse 21. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Oh, we know God. We went through, the, what, I think it was 42 sermons on giving God honor. A long series, longest series that was done. That we, we know God. We've been talked about, told about God. We've been preached to about God. We read about God. Do we then glorify Him as God? Oh, Romans, Paul was saying, because they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So when we come to the point that we don't look into our heart, And give glory to God. He brought us here. 
Each one of us was selected, hand-picked to be here. Do we glorify God for doing that? Or do we find fault with God? When we do, Paul said, our hearts become darkened. We have this imagination. We imagine the worst on people. And yet, and Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 10.5 and says, cast down imaginations. We look at the worst case scenario on everything because that's the best way to look at it because then we, if it's not that bad, we can be happy and joyous now. He said, cast down your imaginations. We imagine the worst about people. The worst about the property. The worst about being out here in the desert. What's the best part? Cost you $100 a month to live out here? It cost you love, respect, unity. That's the greatest part, isn't it? You know, do you tell me a place you can go and find where you can have a place where... And I seen this just the other night, not too long ago. Some of our children, after dark, riding in their four-wheelers. I lived in a big city. I wouldn't let my kids out there driving a four-wheeler after dark. You might not see them again. Too much of that happens too often with too many pedophiles. But we don't have that here either, do we? We don't have people that we have to be worried about our kids. Or for us older people, walking around the property at night or in the daytime, you don't have to worry about that, do you? We have it protected. We have blessings. And so God says, quit imagining the worst. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We sometimes imagine the wrong things and we look at the worst of anything. But we're told to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Hard, isn't it? It's hard to recapture your thoughts. But God wants us to do that. He wants you to love each other. He wants you to stop finding the worst case scenario and start looking at His blessings that He gives to us. In Mark 7, Christ speaking, he says in Mark 7, verse 6, And he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah, speaking to these scribes and Pharisees, prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We have to be careful also. That we don't walk around and saying, God is good, God is good, God is good, while we're putting a knife in a brother's or sister's back. God is great. We honor God. We thank Him for what He's given to us with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me. And this happens. 
time and time again, people, Christ says, in vain people worship me, but they have their own ideas. They teach for doctrine the commandments of men, not commandments of God. Happens in the world, and we're, we're faced with that every day, those that work out there. Can we, or do we, say we need to dwell together in unity if we teach our own doctrines? If we have our ideas and say, you know, God put one person in charge. He didn't put 60 people in charge. He didn't put eight people in charge. He didn't put three people in charge. He put one person in charge. Whether it be Moses or David or the pastor here. That's the man who's got the bottom line. So, do we have our ideas? And because we don't agree, we can sit down and, and put up our ideas. We teach vain doctrines, doctrine, our doctrines, not God. God inspires what we're being taught. 1 John 2. John was a man that was so filled with love. I mean, we have to understand, John had a lot of love. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. He could see that. He could see people having difficulties. He says, don't sin. And if a man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Emmanuel, the Christ, the righteous. We have Christ there. Christ is righteous. When we sin, like David, we should go to the Father and say, forgive me. And Christ will be there and say, I know their heart. I know what they're trying to do. They made a mistake. Forgive them. And he is the perpetuation or the sacrifice. Christ is the sacrifice for that sin that we do. And not ours only. Christ's sacrifice didn't just cover my sins or your sins. He covered the sins of this world. But also the sins of the whole world. And hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So that's how we know God. Because they're written in our minds. Not on stone, unless we've got a stone head. Sometimes my head's like stone. But no, it should be a fleshly head. It should be implanted so much that on our daily walk, we're not going to sin. We're not going to want to take something that belongs to somebody else. We're not going to want to kill somebody else. We're not going to want to cheat and steal and find fault with other people. Not if we have and love God's commandments. Because we can go back to Matthew 25 and realize, as Christ said, the way we treat each other is how we're treating Christ. So if we find fault with each other, are we finding fault with Christ and what he's saying? Do we find fault? Do we, do we accuse others? We want to live in peace. 
And to, to say like David, how great, how fantastic it is to dwell in unity. But if I find fault with you, I find fault with Christ. That's what he's saying. First John 3, 23. And this is his commandments, that you believe on the name of the Son, Emmanuel the Christ, and love one another. Love each other, as he has given us commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that we abide, that he abides in us by the Spirit which he gives to us. If we have Christ's Spirit in us, we're going to be like Christ. We're told we ought to walk like Christ, talk like Christ. That commandment is that we love one another. In 1 John 2, verse 4, He that says, I know him, I know Emmanuel, I know the Father, and keeps not the commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I know Christ, but I might hedge on a few things here or there. I know Christ, but if we don't follow his footsteps, then are we telling the truth? But whosoever keeps his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. God's love is perfected in each one of us if we have his spirit dwelling in us. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as Christ walked. Christ loved everyone. He loved the people that we would find fault with, whether it be the president of this country or any other country, whether it be men like uh, Adolf Hitler who persecuted and killed millions of people. Christ died for him too. He just wasn't and hasn't been ready to give him that knowledge. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which things is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light is shines. He that says he is in the light, do you say, I'm in the light? I'm in God's way and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. So if we have hatred, we're not in the light of Christ. We can't afford to find fault and hatred. You know, you let it brood and brood and before you know it, what happens is you're in darkness. And I've seen that happen in my life over 40 years. People get so angry at other people that you say, where are they today? They're not in the light. They're in darkness. He that loves his brother 
abides in the light and there is no occasion for stumbling in him. If we come to that point that we begun, we let it brood and we develop so much hate for each other, we're going to fall. There's no doubt about it. You're going to have a difficulty in your life. But he that hates his brothers in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whether he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And that's what happens. We blind our eyes to see the good that God has put in each one of us. No, we're not the same. God didn't call each one of us to be a a scholar uh, who's been to college and has great wisdom and can read and, and ascertain all this information and bring it out. No. Some of us are dummies like me who struggle at reading. Others are great in different categories. I mean, I wouldn't try to be a chef someplace. Uh, I'd probably poison the people trying to cook up something good. But others are great at that. Some people can do that and it's just easy but God didn't call me to cook. God didn't call me to take and plow fields, to build buildings. I told Andrew one day, you want to build a porch? Go see somebody like Jared or Will McPherson or Terry Romehill. Don't come to me because it, it might not stand. <laughs> because I'm not a carpenter. I can pound nails. I can mix cement. have a hard time laying blocks. I tried that too. Wasn't very good at it. Tried finishing concrete. Wasn't good at that either. Digging ditches, I can do fairly good. And of course, when I'm on the trencher, Daryl will tell you, I kind of make like a snake. And I, so I'm not good at that either. <laughs> but I try. But there are things I can do that maybe you can't do. So God didn't select you to be exactly like me. It's a good thing. And I'm not like you. And that's a good thing. So we have to balance each other. We have to be as a family, living, working, growing, sharing our knowledge, our background. I wouldn't expect some of these young men to understand the depth of, of uh, electronics that I might have? Or to have the experience working on vehicles or working bees? I wouldn't expect you to have that knowledge. You're still young. You haven't had that experience. And so we're told if we will look to those that have the experience and learn, because they can tell us tricks of the trade. You know, if you're working on a car... There are tricks that make it easy. When I work on a car, I don't know those tricks. And it's awful hard and difficult. And I struggle at it. And sometimes I want to take the big hammer and beat it to death. But there are those that have that experience who worked on these vehicles all their life. And they could say, let me show you a quick, easy way. And does it. It comes to building something. Those that have that background, quick and easy way to do it. Where I'd struggle, I'd probably go the backward way. 
So if we're in the darkness, and we lose perspective of where we're going and why we're here, then we're not going to be, like it says, to live in unity. And we won't have that great peace that we want. John 4, verse 20. John 4, 1 John 4, 20. 1 John 4, 20. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. I love you, God. I've heard that through my life. I love God. But that guy, I can't stand. I love God, but that woman is nothing but a tailbearer. That group of people are rotten to the core, but I love God. He says, if you hate a brother, you're a liar. For he that loves not his brother, whom he can see, you see. Those that we can deal with on a daily basis. Those that we can shake their hand or talk to or let them help us or we can help them. If we... For he that loves not his brother whom he sees, how can he love God whom he has not seen? How can we say we really love God? How many of you have spoken directly to God and have him speak right back to you? Well, we do. We hear his words in in the Bible. But remember what Israel did. They were out there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God spoke to them, and they quaked in their boots, and they said, Don't let God talk to us again. You, Moses, talk to God, and then you tell us. So how many of us have been in that position? We've heard God say, Make a change in your life. You're the guilty guy. No, we didn't heard that. And we'd probably be just like the people of Israel. Oh, no, let Daryl talk to God, and he can tell us. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother. John had that kind of love that he could say those things. He could come out and say, if you really love God, love your brothers. You know, we are all in one in Christ. I pointed that out a little bit ago. We're not the same. In Galatians 3.26 tells us, Galatians 3.26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Emmanuel. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We were baptized into Emmanuel. We put him on. There is neither Greek nor Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. We are one family in Christ. That's who we are. We're all one family in Christ. And if Christ be in us, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to that promise. What promise? Promise of eternal life? 
promise to marry Christ, promise to be kings and priests in the world tomorrow. That's what we look forward to. We are of Christ. Do we want then to go all the way back to Psalm 133? And think about this. Because my heart's desire, brethren, is that we live in unity. We help each other. We find faults. But like James tells us, James 5, the last couple verses, if somebody's made a mistake and you happen to witness it, but you can approach them with love. Approach them with the attitude of, I really love you because I love God. And I see this mistake. And can you see? Can you grasp where you've gone? And they turn. And they say, oh, yeah, thank you. And they change. Christ says, that's the kind of love they want. Because you have then turn them from the wrong direction to the right direction. So my heart's desire, and I'm sure Daryl's heart's desire and Gordon's heart's desire, is that we live in unity, that we live in peace and harmony. So Psalm 133, and I'll read this from the New King James Version. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity, It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. Precious oil. Something they want to lose. Down the beard, that beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of the garment. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the Mount of Zion. And for there the Lord commanded the blessings Life evermore. Is that your heart's desire? To be at peace? Well, it takes work, doesn't it? It takes us to commit to the fact that to say, I made a mistake. To go to God like David. And you know, God says David was a man after his heart. Why? Because he could go to his father and say, I'm the guilty party. Forgive me with your loving kindness. And then turn around, like we're told, and to show that same loving kindness and willingness and respect and joy that God gets when He forgives each one of us. So, to live in unity and in peace is great joy. It's fantastic to be able to live here on this property. And those of you out in the telephone line that are not here, you're missing out. Can we tell you to move out here? No. Can we tell you not to come out here? No. It depends on you. And so all of us moved out here because we want to live in a godly community under godly principles and to live in peace and in unity and share that great love.